my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful, the city of Adelaide. Uh, This week, we're looking at biblical morality. In the third millennium, our big questions, marriage, where did it originate? Yesterday, we looked at what is the biblical role of family. Today, we're asking, is biblical morality out of date? Tomorrow, we're digging into sexual sin. Is forgiveness possible? And then finally, does Christ's teaching on morality make sense? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Good afternoon, listeners. It's hard to believe that another week has actually passed us by, isn't it? Uh, Yes, they seem to just all... uh fit in together, don't they? They certainly do. They go on with a pace at the present time. Tell us, David, it's the last week of the school term. You've got a young family. What are you doing for the school holidays? Anything exciting? Yeah, I'm doing some study. (laughs) No, look, I I am looking to take a few days off here and there. I'm not sure what that'll look like yet. I've got to get a number of things finished first. But, yeah, definitely want to spend time with uh, my wife and two children. Yeah, yeah. No, it's re- it's so important, isn't it? You know, school holidays to be able to take, slow down just a little bit and uh, and declare this some uh, some family time. Uh, David, you're also chair uh, of the board that manages three schools with about 1,500 students. You know, we've been talking this uh, this last week about uh, morality in the third millennium This um, all this week. Why is it that we spend, why do we spend so much time and money on Christian education? Is it really that important? Absolutely it is. When we uh, educate young people, we're educating our future leaders of the country. We're impressing upon them, we're, they're, they're, they're being led and guided and they're being uh, shown other ways of thinking other than what they would get in other education systems. So essentially what we believe in is that not only should we be be preparing young people for life on this earth and to be good citizens in the community, in society, but more importantly, I think it's preparing people for eternity, preparing young people for eternity and pointing them to Jesus Christ. But is the, for example, I mean, maths in, um, you know, in a private in uh, you know in our Prescott school system it's not really that much different to what is out there in the in any other community absolutely not it's not it's not not any different however what you have you have a group of committed christian teachers uh, you have an ethos there in the school uh, and you are teaching the word of god in subjects such as religion Okay, okay. So in other words, a person's character can actually come through even in subjects that maybe aren't religiously based. Absolutely. And every year we have our schools aren't exclusively for Seventh-day Adventist Christians. In fact, by far the majority of people that come to our schools have no affiliation with Christianity. Mm -hmm. And yet when they come, they know that their children will be presented with a curriculum that also and and a setting that promotes Christian values and ethos and scripture. And many of those people every year give their heart to Jesus and become baptized Christians. That's really something to look forward to, isn't it? That's really tremendous when you can actually turn around and say, hey, there is uh, some base 
morality that's actually being imparted in addition to the important academia? We believe in the whole person, educating the whole person, mind, body, everything, spirituality. So important, so important. It's great to have with us this afternoon Braden Blyde. Uh, Braden is the fundraising manager for Adra Australia. Welcome, Blyden. Thank you, Gary. It's great to uh, great to be speaking with you. Braden, just uh, just a couple of couple of questions. I'm conscious that right now is the end of the uh, financial year, and it just seems like every charity has been running fundraisers for the last probably for the last month or so. How's it gone with Adra? Yeah, the uh, the end of the financial year is a busy time for any charity in Australia. Uh, people are looking to make the most of their tax deductions, which means they're looking for causes that are closely close there. And Andrew's definitely one of those. So we've been giving, giving people the opportunity to change other people's lives through the work that we do. Um, and the last couple of months, we've been running an appeal that we've called our Overcoming Appeal. Um, and really, we're just encouraging, have been encouraging people to think about how they can help others overcome the hardships that they face, whether that's people here in Australia uh, or with the people overseas that we work with as well. Um, because what we know from our work is that when you help someone overcome, uh, they then go and help other people. It's just a natural extension. Yeah, that's that's of fair. That experience. Yeah, that's look. Tell us, actually, Braden, what are your major projects at this point? I, I know not all this money is going to go to any one of these, but that's a really good question. Adra is a quite a large organisation on a global scale. Uh, it's got a presence in over 120 different countries, and Adra Australia, just our office here in Australia, uh, we run projects um, across Australia, um, so helping people access food through our food pantries and community meals programs, um, finding counselling and support and shelter if they're facing um, relationship or, or um, domestic violence issues, um, and just helping people really get back onto their feet um, when they face a tough time here in Australia. And then overseas in the Pacific, um, Asia and in Africa, uh, we have projects that you know, do the traditional things that people often think about when they think about um, organisations like ours helping people get access food and water when they might not have it. But some of the most important things are actually helping um, communities to organise, to see their strengths and to use those strengths um, to improve the lives of everyone. Um, so it's about, you know, it might be small business training, it might be setting up groups that allow a community to interact better um, with their the government organisations um, and just be able to um, do what we call development. And that's really about making sure people have the opportunities they need um, to live the life that God designed each one of us to live. So, of course, development is more people helping themselves as opposed to us coming in as a as a super rescue organisation. Yeah, that's right. And I think if we, uh, if we think that we hold all the answers to all the world's problems, then we're going to be doing everyone a disservice. So yeah. a lot of it is about listening um, and then working out how to work together with communities to improve their situation, not necessarily just coming in with an answer. Uh, that's, a, uh, that's a wonderful, this is one of the most beautiful works that a person could possibly be involved in. I'm totally convinced of it. But tell us, now, you did meet uh, your target for the end of this financial year, didn't you? Yeah, we feel incredibly blessed. Um, I mean, amongst the craziness of the year that has been, with the bushfires that started off and then uh, the coronavirus crisis, um, charities, including Andrew, are really quite concerned about um, how their fundraising is going to go because without the fundraising, 
we can't help the people that, that we really want to help. Um, so we feel really blessed, and we feel that God led us um, through this um, this time, and really massive thanks to all the Aboriginal supporters out there, because as you said, we, we reached our target just before the end of June 30 yesterday, uh, so we all woke up feeling really happy, um, not just because we look at um, the dollar figures of our target and kind of feel like we're sick that off, we know um, there's people behind that. Um, if did we I, don't meet those targets, then there's, there's people who need help that can't get it, unfortunately. So yeah, did we I, wake up feeling great. Did I understand that that uh, target was actually, if it was met, was going to be matched um, to to some extent? Yeah, so Edwin's, um again, really blessed to be one of um, really a small group of aid agencies in Australia that the government um, sees as, as high-quality aid agencies and makes funding available um, through a match program. So when people donated to this appeal, there was there's the opportunity um, that those funds can be used um, towards that match pool. And at the moment, the government was really trying to ensure that aid agencies could continue doing the work they do and in some ways kind of encourage people to continue to support them. And so the match was actually 10 times. Um, so that's, uh, again, a real blessing. And that, that means that our work overseas for those, for those match funds can, uh, can continue. Uh, and we know now with the corona crisis um, continuing that it's really people in developing countries that are going to be continually hit harder by things like this. So, yeah, mm. then we're just really pleased to be able to be able to help. So, Brian, what was your financial target? So we we had a target of a million dollars, um, and you know, whenever I talk money, it it, it sometimes feels a little bit flippant because it's it's easy just to add zeros and think about it in terms of um, dollars. But again, we think about that as you know, the million dollars that we need. Um, to continue helping people here in Australia and overseas. Yeah. Um, and so we celebrate not because we, we raise all that money, but because we know that we can continue doing what we do. And that, that's only because of Adverse supporters. Um, and of course, by the time yeah. that is actually match, matched by the federal government, that's going to make a, a really positive difference at this point in time, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just incredible that when you, you get a group of people um, together, people that are willing to share, um, willing to be generous, um, the power that that has, and we've seen that play out over the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Brayden, tell us, I, I've heard a little bit about a, an ADRA campaign and a group of ladies called the Pickle Sisters, the Pickle Sisters. Now, um, it, it's got me somewhat con- intrigued. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, the Pickle Sisters, uh, the really interesting name for a group of ladies and, and they were one of the stories that we told through um, our campaign over the last month or so. Um, and they got their name because of the small business that they started. They were a group of um, three ladies from Nepal. Um, and in Nepal, you know, they were basically um, stuck doing menial tasks, chores around the house, um, not particularly seen as, as valuable contributors to their family or to their community. Um, and at the same time, their family had been in generational poverty. Um, and so Adra had a project running um, in their community, which they, they joined, and they were um, given the training support and a small little kind of financial loan um, to start a small business. And their small business was, of course, making and selling pickles, um, hence their name. And so these ladies started a, a little tiny business, which has grown, um, have grown over time, and now they're supplying pickles to some of the, the hotels and things um, in the wow. pool. 
Wow. Um, but the most inspiring thing is, you know, that they're now able to provide for their family and send their kids to school um, and break that generational poverty cycle. But the most inspiring thing is that they said, you know, we've done this, but now our aim um, is to help other women to do exactly the same thing. Um, and that's, I think that's the real power of working together to help others is it, it, it grows. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly powerful story, isn't it? Because because what you've got there is you lift a family out of uh, the cycle of poverty, and that's indeed what it is. And then they themselves want to pass on that gift and lift others out of the cycle of poverty. I mean, that really is impacting the lives of people positively, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we, we talk about the uh, the exponential growth of of the virus that we so know well we know so well at the moment um, but really doing this kind of work is about the exponential growth of, of people helping each other yeah 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 Braden, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us this afternoon. We really, uh, really pray that uh, ADRA's uh, mission will really go forward. It'll really be advanced. Uh, and if people want to be able to, uh, uh, to to give even now in the new financial year, can they do that? Absolutely. You can support ADRA um, year-round. And it would be remiss of me not to take the opportunity, Gary, to um, just directly thank the ADRA supporters that are listening. Um, I just want to thank you for your support, whether you gave over the last month or so or whether you give um, at other times. Um, the work that, that ADRA does would not be possible without you. Um, yeah. So if people are interested in knowing more or, um, or giving at any point, um, they can head to our website, which is um, adraadra.org.au. Fantastic. Um, Braden, thank you so much for that. Really do appreciate your work, your ministry. Uh, ADRA, I believe, has got one of the most beautiful ministries uh, that you could possibly have at this time in Earth's history. Uh, thank you, Braden. May the Lord richly bless you. That was talking to uh, Braden Blyde earlier this afternoon. It was uh, wonderful to be able to touch base with Braden again. You know, Andrew does such a wonderful work. That's a powerful organisation. It's one that is well worth supporting. Let me please encourage you, if you've got a, spare, a few spare dollars, uh, hey, this this is an organisation where the vast majority of the amount, the money that you give is actually going to the projects that have been specified. Uh, please, uh, really love it if you have a few spare dollars. Uh, please enjoy uh, this afternoon. Uh, Christian Badal, find us faithful. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road And those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary Their lives a stirring testament To God's sustaining grace Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us run the race not only for the prize But as those who've gone Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly lives Oh, may all who come behind 
my good friends this is pastor gary i'm daily host of drive time i'm excited to be able to share with you a wonderful opportunity commencing monday july 6 i've invited nick creter and the drive time team to deal with big questions of prophecy this series answers some of the most profound and relevant issues that are impacting the christian world in the early third millennium who is going to control the world How will the world end? Who is the Antichrist and has he already come? This is your opportunity to see what Scripture reveals of a war that is hidden to most of humanity. The first presentation commences at 5pm South Australian time and 5.30 on the East Coast on Monday the 6th of July. This is a series that you just must hear. That's a fantastic series. That uh, series is commencing next Monday. And uh, if, if you really would love to dig into the, the prophetic word, uh, you must uh, touch base with that particular series. you really enjoy it. You're listening to Faith FM, Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. And David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. And this week we're talking biblical morality biblical morality in the third millennium and the question for today is is biblical morality out of date it's a significant question it was an article that appeared in the washington post almost two years ago Uh, you know it was the pre-covid period the pre-economic tailspin of 2020 the markets were booming and we'd recovered from the global financial crash The article was entitled, America's Morals on Crash Course to Become Ancient Rome. For the secular media that doesn't normally have much to say on morality, it was actually a very insightful article. Uh, This is what it said. 
Americans say the country, as it stands today, is worse off morally than in past years, and worse off, morally speaking, to a tune that's never been seen before. Can't say it's surprising. It's not rocket science, people. It won't be long before America becomes Rome, becomes ancient Rome. You know, the empire that fell due to its moral depravity. When the culture, the article, the Washington Post said, when the culture becomes one of rot, it's not long until the behaviours and the patterns of the people become similarly rotten. These things are circular, where one feeds on the other, where the morals feed on the culture and the politics feeds on the morals that feed on the culture, and so it goes round. The change may come in dribs and drabs and even take generations, but all the same, it does come. The article went on to talk about changes that have been seen in the contemporary world, Sex is recreational, like dining out and catching a movie or getting together for racquetball. And America's entertainment, America's TV shows that reflect and feed on that mindset. So goes the moral compass of the people, says the article. So goes popular culture. So goes the political system following the popular culture that follows the morality. The article finishes up in this way. It says Americans have always viewed the state of US morals uh, more negatively than positively, but the latest figures are the worst to date, uh, with a record-tying low 14% rating them as excellent or good. In 10 of the past 12 annual annual polls, um, Americans have decidedly been uh, more likely to rate it as poor. When asked whether U.S. morals are getting better or worse, Americans have consistently said that they're worsening. I wonder how it would go if the same survey was actually done in Australia. Fully 77% now say moral values in the country are getting worse, and that's nothing to sneeze at. So are there some solutions? And this was the solution that the secular paper suggested. Stop watching culturally rotten shows and feeding advertisers dollars that support such entertainment. Stop hitting the shopping malls for Sunday sales and head to church instead. Stop teaching kids that anything goes culture is okay and whatever feels good at the moment is the right path to walk. Virtues, morals and principles don't come naturally. They must be taught. I found that an intriguing statement. Virtue, moral and principles don't come naturally. They must be taught. And a nation that accepts the worst of humankind as normal, rather than pushing and pressing for the best, the highest, the most inspirational, sets itself on a path of depravity and destruction. David, one of the things I'm really conscious about today is that biblical morality, so many say that biblical morality is tired, they suggest that it's out of date, they suggest that it's fully irrelevant for the 21st century. Do you think it's really that out of date? Absolutely not. All you have to do, as as the article sort of ascribes to, is look at what's happening out in culture. It's phenomenal. Um, 47% of divorces 
actually have children involved. So think about that. The, the marriage unit is the basic structure and foundation of society. Mm. So when you don't have a male and a female, which is the biblical principle, when you don't have a male and female together to raise children, there can be consequences. Now, we know that not everyone um, has that luxury. We know there are the things that happen that, that impact that, and there are some relationships which shouldn't be together. But when you've got 47.3% uh, of divorces involving children, that impacts them. And that's really significant, isn't it, David? Because I'm so conscious that uh, I know as pastor of a uh, one of my churches on one particular occasion, we went through a horrific year. And on that particular occasion, we had about eight marriages break up. And I actually went and did a head count of children. And there were actually over 30 children involved. And the pain and the suffering that actually was impacted on the children because of mum and dad splitting up uh, was, was huge. It can have incredible consequences. Then we just look at is biblical morality out of date. Look at domestic violence. It's phenomenal. Um, looking at uh, domesticviolence.com.au, it says, on average, at least one woman a week is killed by a partner or former partner in Australia. Mm. So is biblical morality out of date, I ask? Uh, one in three Australian women has experienced physical violence since the age of 15. One in five Australian women has experienced sexual violence. So what are some of the contributing factors to this? Yeah. And, and yeah. what does the Bible say? Now, we think about pornography. And um, it's pervasive. It impacts so many people. Um, Gary, I don't know if you're aware, but if you were to look at the top 100 websites in June 2019, the top 100 websites that had the most visits, you would find Google as number one, YouTube as number two, Facebook as number three. At position eight, 10, and 13, you have pornographic websites. Wow. In the top 100. Wow. In positions 8, 10, and 13. Mm. Uh, that's three websites in the top 13. Now, of those three websites, they come before large organizations such as Amazon.com and come before Netflix.com. Wow. And those three pornographic websites combined in the month of June 2019 had on average over 9 billion visits mm -hmm. in the month of June. 9 billion visits. Now, what does pornography and its impacts have on the family unit? What does it have on relationships? What impact does it have on domestic violence? This, these are so important, these questions, aren't they? Because, you know, to me, I'm so conscious that we've actually in, in a society where we've got a media that actually promotes violence, it promotes uh, illicit sexuality, and then within the culture itself, those things are actually being fed back to us again, and we're wondering... Exactly well, we have why. problems. And then they're funding domestic violence campaigns, which they have to, yet mm. society is like a, it's cannibalizing itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was looking at one website, um, Gary, called www.timesleader.com, and it was talking about pornography, and it was quoting a, a, a Christian uh, called Josh McDowell. You may have mm -hmm. heard of him. Um, he's international speaker uh, for Campus Crusade for Christ. He recently shared a series of scientific studies, uh, and the results were these. 87% of teens think it's okay to watch pornography. 77% of men between the ages of 18 and 26 regularly watch pornography. 66% of divorced Christians attribute their separation to pornography. 60% of Christian men, and wait for this, 40% of Christian women are addicted to pornography and 55% of pastors are addicted. Wow. And it goes, I'll just share one more fact. Every day it says 116,000 internet queries 
are related to child pornography. Now, I'm assuming this is just America. Mm. Every day, 116,000. And each year, 300,000 children in the U.S. are forced into the commercial sex trade. It's an odious enterprise. This is horrific statistics, aren't they? Shocking. Mm. So is biblical morality out of date? Well, there's certainly a problem. What you're saying is that there's actually a problem within our contemporary society somewhere. And the one area that possibly might be able to challenge it possibly is being pushed aside. It is. And instead, we're allowing, we're feeding these things to happen. Then we try and create um, procedures and guidelines and protocols to to maintain or to remove them. Uh, it, It doesn't make sense. Come, come to the scriptures, David, because I'm so conscious that our time is starting to already starting to run away from us. But what do the scriptures actually say? I mean, does it give us any any direction that would cause us to be able to alleviate some of the pain and the suffering that's in our world as a result of these issues? It does, and look, I know you've touched on this earlier in the week, but Genesis two twenty four, um, and then we'll go to some of the challenges and how it's exhibited. Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's verse 25. So we have this beautiful picture of what God designed. Mm. A man leaving his family... A man and a woman coming together, they are equals. Eve is created from Adam's side. They are co-equals. The male is not to dominate his wife. Um, they have different functions, but they're co-equals. And the two are to become one flesh. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, not everyone. Um, marriage is not necessarily for everyone. But God gives us this uh, biblical uh, model of what marriage should be and sex should be maintained for the marriage relationship. And Scripture paints that. And we that. certainly saw that on Monday. That was one of our major, that was the major issue that we talked about on Monday. Mm. Yeah. So when we jump to the New Testament, we come across to some of Paul's writings and we come to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And it highlights some of the... Um, the impacts that sin has had on sexuality. Uh, and, and, and this is so important, actually, Dave. I think you picked to pick this up because, you know, what we've had this is beautiful picture at the beginning, at the very beginning of, uh, of time, back at creation. But then sin comes in and impacts. And so much of what we see in the scriptures is actually the result of sin. It is. And, and so when God made Adam and Eve, man and woman, he creates, he said, let us make man, humankind, in our own image, yeah. after our likeness. So the picture of a husband and wife is a miniature picture of, and, and a, uh, not a perfect picture, but a picture of the relationship between the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Spirit, yeah. an intimate relationship, yeah. non-sexual yeah. with the Godhead, but that's the closest we can see on earth yeah. with the marriage covenant. Yeah. Yeah. And so Satan will naturally attack a gift that God has given, the gift of marriage. Satan will naturally attack a gift that God has given, the gift of sexuality. And the reason that this is actually so important, David, is because in the in the Old Testament, I constantly have, when I've spoken to young people on this particular subject, one of the questions is, ah, but in the Old Testament there was, for example, a bigamy. There was polygamy in the in the Old Testament, and uh, you know we had some of God's people actually involved. And that what many fail to realize 
realize is that sin has actually come in and corrupted that which God gave at the very beginning, and God doesn't sanction polygamy even at any point. Just because it's in there doesn't mean to say he's sanctioned. Exactly. It's very interesting. You, you come to Adam and Eve, you have their children Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain's son was Lamech, and he commits polygamy. So you have this perfect marriage, then you have sin, you have children, and then the grandchildren, yeah. Cain's son, commits polygamy. So God prescribes regulations around it um, in Moses' time, but polygamy is already in society, in culture, prior to that, after sin entered the world. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. God doesn't condone it. God has got a, a huge, there's been a huge impact that sin has had. But David, look, let's go to the New Testament because I'm so important that, that we actually pick up where you were, where you were at there. Yeah, so the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 11, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. Now it's interesting. We don't, it's not just the first part, it's the second. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We'll talk about that again later. So Paul paints a picture of the impact of sin mm. on relationships, mm. human relationships. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it impacted their relationship with God. Yeah. And yeah. God was to be the center of the home. He was to be the center of the marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Sex was designed to be uh, a gift given for that marriage relationship. Mm. And Satan comes in and he attacks the heart, the foundation of the human culture, human society. Which is why Christ, you know, when in giving the what we call today the Ten Commandments even, you know, why is it that in the Ten Commandments, you've got one of the commandments that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, you know, it's simply because there is pain, there is suffering, there is heartache that's going to happen if you get involved in this practice of illicit sex outside of marriage. You know, how many people that I know of would have been spared so much pain if they had followed that counsel. Absolutely. Look, and Gary, you and I both do marriage counseling as, as ministers of religion. Uh, I try to describe it to a couple when I meet with them that as individuals, we come with a suitcase each to a relationship. And in that suitcase, we're dragging behind us or it's chained to our leg is baggage. Now, we all have baggage of one way or another, the way we were brought up, our, all those things. But if you've had three, four, five, ten, fifteen partners, you're dragging fifteen suitcases with you into a relationship. Now, the way I picture it, we all have baggage. We come with hopefully only one case each. What we want to do is still be individual, but when we get united in marriage, instead of having a case each, we have a case between us. Mm. One suitcase. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, the the baggage is shared between two people and two people alone. There's nobody else as baggage who is part of our our relationship. That's right. And when you travel overseas, I hate having suitcase after suitcase you've got to pick <laughs> up and put down. Why have the pain that comes from not following God's gift and God's intent and God's plan? That's, that, that's powerful what you're sharing there. But let's go back to Paul again. Yeah. So... Paul is giving us a number of indicators, and we're talking about sexuality in the family, so I guess we're not looking at today covetousness nor drunkards or revilers. He talks about that um, 
the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He talks about fornicators. Um, now, fornication comes from the Greek word in the New Testament, pornia, and that covers a whole range of illicit, illicit sexual practices, yeah. um, uh, things that uh, don't fit with the scriptural uh, picture. So Paul says if you're not following the biblical plan for sex and relationship, you're committing pornia. And that's where we get the word ultimately pornography, pornography. from. Yeah. Um, he talks about uh, adulterers won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And adultery is when you're in a marriage relationship, you're in a relationship and you commit uh, a sexual act outside of that union that you have with your spouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and isn't that, you know, this is, this is hugely relevant for the day and age in which we are living, you know, I'm so conscious that there are many people who actually uh, suggest, and, and they've certainly said to me that uh, the Bible is actually irrelevant on the issue of morality for the 21st century. You know, the more I get into the scriptures, the more I see what the scriptures are actually saying. I turn around and say, "Hey, I think this is highly relevant for the day and age in which we are actually living." It's always been relevant, but with the depravity continuing to increase, it becomes increasingly more relevant today. Yeah. You know, Jesus in Matthew uh, 19, I think you might have looked at this Monday night, he was questioned by the religious leaders about Moses and divorce. And he said it wasn't like that in the beginning. Uh, God allowed divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. And then he talks about uh, divorce only being um, allowed, if you like, because of sexual immorality and adultery. Yeah. So adultery is a marriage wrecker, a relationship wrecker. Yeah, yeah, and and that's something that a lot of people today don't actually recognise how much of a wrecker it is. I know that uh, when people come to me and say, Pastor, look, can we have a chat to you? You know, we're talking a, a marriage counselling type of environment. There's a number of questions up front that I'll ask, and the very first one that I will always ask is this question, is there somebody else involved or... Do you think that there's somebody else involved uh, with the other party? Because I have to have this out on the table. Number one question mm. up front has to be that issue because, you know, the thing I've discovered is if there's somebody else involved, um, I can forget my marriage counselling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Um so, so these are real issues, real problems that, that occur. It's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, um, the apostle there says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So the author of Hebrews is telling us that marriage is honorable, and yet society says, well, it's okay to do as you please. A and the marriage bed should be undefiled. Yeah, uh, the, these this is out of um, our world today. Really struggles with concepts such as these, and yet it also struggles with the pain and the suffering, you know, and the heartache that is actually coming as a result. And it cannot answer the pain. And, and it the cannot answer it. Do you know? To me, I I actually I don't know if you're planning to come to this, but I, I really appreciate Matthew chapter uh, chapter five because here Christ is actually talking about one of the um, one of the commandments, the ten one of the ten commands. But he amplifies it. What he says is this: You've heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not commit adultery." But I say to you that whoever looks to a woman with lust for has 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, and, and here he goes and he starts to give a, um, a, a possible remedy. But I'm really interested in this particular remedy. Mm. Um, but it's important that we understand what's actually being said here. It's, he says, um, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for one of your members to perish than if your whole body to be cast. Um, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's more profitable that one of... What is he saying here? What is actually being said? Do you know, David, one of the things that I, I realized a number of years ago when I was actually uh, talking to some people was that this particular um, uh, passage of Scripture is actually so powerful because it's talking about you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks to a, at a woman to lust for her, that's talking about pornea, that's talking about pornography, that's talking about an issue that we are dealing with in the 21st century. And it is big time. And no one wants to speak about it. But, you know, to me, the solution here is something that is particularly unique. You know, Christ was actually the the beautiful, he had so many parables, mm. if you like. What did he mean here when he says, if this is the case, cut off your right hand, if it causes you to sin, cut. Did he mean to go with your axe? And I suggest to you that he didn't. Well, one of the early Christian famous authors, Oregon, he, he read this and, uh, well, I'm assuming he read this and he went and castrated himself. I didn't actually realize so that. Actually. I, I, I don't think that was Jesus's intent. But you know what? I think what Jesus's intent was here was something else. He's saying, I want you to take the most extreme action necessary in order to resolve the problem. Yes. Because, you know, here, you know, I'm so conscious that here what the scriptures are saying is there is a problem. In the Old Testament, you're told don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, you're being told, I don't even want you to become involved with, uh, uh, with pornography. But, but to resolve the issue, if you're dealing with it, Take the most extreme action necessary in order to resolve. Now, of course, we know that chopping off your hand isn't going to solve the problem with pornography because the problem's in the mind, mm. uh, not in... So what's the most extreme... Ac- you know, sometimes it may mean some, uh, um, some action as far as my computer is concerned. Yeah, and accountability and, and removing accountability. yourself from the problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that here we've got Christ is really hitting a point which is so important in the day and age which we're living. So, so Jesus here in Matthew five is not just referring to fi- the physical act, as you said, of adultery. He's referring to the heart and to the mind. It goes yeah. deeper than just the physical act. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's important we realise that actually, David, because what uh, a lot of people don't realise is that uh, a person's biggest sexual organ is the is, brain. Is actually the brain. Absolutely. There's no no physical part that's any bigger than that. It's actually the brain. That's what we're dealing with. And there's a text, Paul, in I think it's Second Corinthians, where essentially this is not the exact wording, but he's talking about by beholding, we become changed. Yeah. Uh, and there are a number of different studies done with video gaming, violent video gaming, etc., yeah. uh, and things like that. That if you continually watch those, that's got to have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, it was very interesting, David. Some time ago, I was actually uh, pastoring a particular church, and I, uh, um, I actually put together. I went and did some some research. It was actually by the uh, by the commercial assessors of video gaming technology, mm. and uh, I was talking to some university students, and I shared their research, and um, they were they were amazed that the secular uh, people were actually saying about the games what they were actually saying. But then I took it back to my church, and I took it to the uh, uh, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, and I said to them, have any of you ever played this game? And to a man, every single one of them had. And what the parents didn't realise was that there were actually scenes within those games which allowed you to rape um, another person. Now, you know, I, if in fact this is going through your mind and you're being trained in order to be able to uh, to rape another person... Should it be surprising? That will be a factor why we have such high rates of domestic violence, why we have so much promiscuity and violent sex, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the solution then is to actually put people in prison after they act out what they've actually been trained to do through... Through society and culture. It's a, it, it's a, it's an interesting world that we're living in. Hmm. But David, let me come back to you, to you. I'm conscious that our time is running away from, from us. We might give a miss to that next song. Let's keep, uh, keep, keep going there, David. Yeah, look, um, I guess there are many things we could talk about. The scriptures also talk about homosexuality as well and, and, um, amongst many things and, uh, in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. So this is just one of many um, sexual sins that can impact things, such as adultery, such as pornography, such as I think it's important what you're saying there, David, because, you know, the Scriptures aren't, aren't out to have a go at no. those who are gay. No. What it does is it actually tries to uphold a morality that... Our society has largely lost sight of today. You know, it talks, the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Mm. Christ amplifies it in Matthew and says, don't just commit adultery, but don't become involved in pornea. Mm. You know, then, you know, you've got what Paul is saying here about fornication. Uh, you know, hey, the scriptures are, are preaching a wide, wide angle here. Uh, Jesus is ratcheting things up. He is. He is ratcheting yeah. things yeah. up. Yeah, now, David. Look, I'm conscious of our uh, of our time. Look, do you have anything else that you just you'd like to uh, just just share with us? Yeah. Look, Gary. Um uh, this is pervasive, all of this stuff, and so many homes and so many people have been impacted. The woman in caught in adultery in John chapter eight. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it wasn't just a woman; there had to be a man involved. But uh, to her, Jesus said, "Neither do I condemn you." Yeah. But then he says, "Go and sin no more." So. God is not a God of condemnation. He wants to release us from the bondage of these things yeah. that, that deprave us. And I just want to take you back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 again. The Apostle Paul, after mentioning things such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness, and all these sorts of things, which many of us may have fallen into, there is a message of hope. Mm. And he says this, And such were some of you. 
You know, you yeah. used to be like this, he said. Yeah. But then he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified. And listen to this in the Godhead. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So God can help us with these things. So in other words, there's a, there's a cleansing, there's a purity that can come to those who, who actually want to move in a different direction. You know, tomorrow we're actually going to be digging into, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. We've got Helen's going to be with us tomorrow and she's going to be uh, digging into this issue because we're asking tomorrow, is there forgiveness possible for people who have made huge mistakes in this area? And that will be really exciting. And the answer is yes. God is not the God of condemnation, but he is the God of rescue. Yeah. He's the God of help. And he doesn't want us to be held in bondage to, to these things that Satan would put us under. And I think the reason that he, he does that is because he realizes that sin brings pain and suffering. You know, I mean, and any of our listeners that, you know, doubt that, we're all familiar with, uh, uh, you know, with, with many people who, um, who, Part of part of our own social circle who are involved with uh, in an adulterous relationship, the pain, the suffering, the heartache that that brings to the family. You know, not just the two individuals, not just to the two, you know, the children. You know, and uh, you know, so many times I've had, uh, you know, a, a mother. Uh, you know, why does this? You know, why does he do it? Yeah. Why yeah. does he do it? Yeah. And, you know, that question is so relevant and it brings pain to the entire family. And God says, it's not needed. It's not necessary. So God gives us these guides like the Ten Commandments and the other instructions through Scripture yeah. to try and help us avoid the pain and the suffering that's experienced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love, though, we do have to come because I'm conscious we're very close to uh, having having to finish. I, I'm conscious of Philippians. Hmm. Um, do, do you want to just read this passage for us and just make a comment on it? Yeah, this is beautiful. The Apostle Paul, he's in prison. Uh, and he says this to the people he's writing to in Philippi. He says, Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... Um, uh, I think I've got the wrong one there, Gary, haven't I? Yeah, well, the, the passage I was particularly thinking Chapter of. Four. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 4 you're after. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even, uh, even ministers make those mistakes, David. Do. Just bear with me. I, I love this particular passage. It's found in Philippians 4, four verse 8. eight. Yeah, That's I the one, yeah. Chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, yeah. yeah. Chapter 3 was good too. So let's go with Chapter 4. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. So finally, after what I read in verse 3, chapter 3, right? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Mm -hmm. So society, culture, entertainment pounds our senses, pounds our minds, all of our senses with what will pull us under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Paul is saying it's in the mind. Yeah. Um, think on these things that are completely different. Yeah. Uh, he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to the will, but be transformed by the renewing of, of your mind. mind. Yeah. So as we think on these things that Paul lists here in verse 8 of chapter 4, the things that are just, the things that are noble, the things that are pure and lovely, and the things that are of good report and virtue. Now, if we um, ran every television program through this, this, this matrix, yeah, yeah. how much would there be left to watch? <laughs> 
Yeah, um, it, it, it's a very, very valid question, actually, David, that you're actually asking there. Because you know, to me, what all this is saying to me, though, is that I believe the Bible is hugely relevant to our age when we're talking about the issue of morality and domestic violence. You think of the money that's being spent to try and counter and curb that. Yeah. Well, let's give everyone a Bible. I invite them to church. I think it would be far cheaper and have far greater impact and results. Yeah, yeah. And and the reality is, because of the Bible has actually a solution to the issue of sin, because that is what these issues are called. Core issue. Core issue. Core issue. David, how would you like to pray for us, and particularly for those people who, who may be struggling yeah, with some of these things? Absolutely. Yeah. Dear Father in heaven, um, we want to thank you. You're a God of love. You're a God who chases us down to woo us and win us back. Father, you know that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of your glory. And Father, there may be many of us that have succumbed to some of the things we've talked about today. Lord, um, you're not there to condemn. You say, neither do I condemn you. You give us a new opportunity. You give us hope. Go and sin no more. So Father, we just pray that for those people that are stuck uh, in these things, Lord, that are held in bondage, that we may call out to you, Lord, help me, Lord, save me. Lord, may we focus on the things that are lovely, pure, just, and of virtue. And may you change us and transform us, we pray. Through Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when we ask sexual sin, is forgiveness possible? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Please enjoy Chris Rice, O love that will not let us go.
my head I dare not ask to fly from thee I lay in dust life's glory dead And from the ground there blossoms red Life that shall endless peace Life that shall endless peace